Welcome back to the Taiku Podcast. Chris is with me. Hello. Later in the show, we'll be talking with Don and Ruby. We'll be talking about the first part of Yu Yu Hakusho, the Spirit Detective Saga. But until then, we will be talking about final film in the post-war Kurosawa box set, I Live in Fear. Which is about living in fear of nuclear holocaust. So we could we could bring it back around. Uh, that looks nice. <laughs> Uh, it is also called Record of a Living Being, which I don't think is as good of a title as I Live in Fear. Absolutely not. I don't think it's really representative of the film as pointedly either. No. Uh, this was released in 1955. This was after Seven Samurai, a year of probably not a full year, but you know. Uh, and Ikaru. Oh, it's after Ikaru, too? Yep. Okay. So... He, after uh, after he did The Idiot, which we talked about last time, he did Ikaru, then Seven Samurai, a two-hit punch, and then this guy. Goodness. Well, Kurosawa keeps busy. <laughs> uh, Chris, do you want to break down I Live in Fear for us? I will do my best. Um, it's not a super complicated story. So we have the main character who is a, a really old man named Kiichi Nakajima, who is played completely unrecognizably by the great Toshiro Mifune. Uh, like, even yeah. after even after I looked it up on IMDb and saw that it was him playing this character, I was trying to see it for the next hour and 40 minutes, <laughs> and I could not. Yep, and then, like, same. in the last 20 minutes... So one of the things that was obscuring his face was he has, like, these crazy Coke bottle glasses. But in, like, the last 20 minutes, he finally you finally see him without the glasses... He's still completely unrecognizable. Like, that is some good-ass makeup they did for Old Man Mifune. Yep. I want to see, like, uh, some footage of Mifune when he's not playing this character and, like, being just his normal self. Yeah. Standing up straight, being, doing whatever the fuck. (laughs) That would be a good bonus feature, watching them apply the makeup onto Mifune for this film. Anyway, so yes, Toshiro Mifune plays Kiichi Nakajima, who is a really, really old man. Um, he, they don't really say how old he is, but judging, you'd say maybe 70s, 60s at the earliest. Yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a pretty wealthy man. He um, started his own business um, with a giant foundry. I don't think it's ever explained what they make at this foundry. Um, but he's pretty successful, and it is post-war Japan. World War II just recently ended. And the man is absolutely terrified that America or somebody else is going to drop another H-bomb and murder them all. Hence the title, I Live in Fear. Um, So the the film starts out with Nakajima's entire family taking him to court because, because what he wants to do is he wants to sell the foundry, get all of his assets gathered in one place and move his entire extended family to Brazil. Because they're not going to bomb Brazil. Right. He, he did all this research, and of all the countries that is most li- most likely to not suffer a horrible end in nuclear holocaust is Brazil. Yep. He's and specifically the- like Sao Paulo, I think. Like- I think I think so. And he, he has like a pen pal there yep. who is going to get him set up with a farm and a citizenship and the whole nine. Well, the rest of the family thinks he's a crazy old kook. So that's why they take him to court to have him labeled um, in the court of law as completely incompetent so that 
he can't sell the foundry and ruin their lives. Uh, And that, that, that occupies pretty much the whole first hour of the film, this whole process of the, the courts trying to decide is this man off his rocker or, you know, is it a legitimate fear? And no, if he wants to move to Brazil, he is in perfectly every uh, right to move to Brazil. Um, one of the uh, individuals who is on the, the court council to determine this is Takashi Shimura-san once again. <laughs> um, and he's really terrific. Like, he's always really terrific because he's just a really terrific actor. Um, and he plays a really good emotional core because some of the other people are like, yeah, this crazy old bastard, um, we're not going to get bombed to hell and back. And he's like, wait, wait, America dropped two of those motherfuckers on us. I don't see why this isn't a legitimate concern that, you know, now that nuclear power has been unleashed upon the world, why this could not happen again. Like these are legitimate fears, but so he, Shimura kind of plays the, the the voice of sensibility, saying, "No, these these are real fears that we we all should be having, mm-hmm. especially considering what just happened." Maybe, yeah, maybe it's more paranoia. Maybe he is kind of crazy, but it's not that big of a stretch to say he should be legitimately <laughs> concerned. Right. Uh, and then, spoiler: an hour into the movie. The court decides that he is indeed incompetent, so it removes the power from him. And I think there's a time skip, but I don't think it really talks about like what the gap is. And so the last 45 minutes is now, okay, so this old man is legally incompetent, and he's still living in fear. Um, his asshole son, who is... <laughs> He, he's actually um, an actor who was in The Idiot and who was also in Rashomon that we'll talk about later. He starts, like, poking and prodding him, like, oh, did you hear they tested another H-bomb off of the coast of Japan? Like, just pushing this man who is genuinely terrified of the possibilities of more nuclear war um, with the realities, you know, yes, there was continuous H-bomb testing afterwards, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, of course, yes, this poor man needs to be terrified. We should all be terrified. Yeah, and this is based off, uh, uh, according to the liner notes here in, in Criterion's, um, Criterion's disc, it says it's based off of uh, two Japanese fishermen who were contaminated by radioactive ash from an American hydrogen bomb test in Bikini Atoll. And they sold those fish in the marketplace. So Mifune's character is not coming from a place of fiction. Yeah, it's not. It's not out of left field. You know, it's you no. Know, some things happened. Okay. Yeah. And, and and that and that really is the prevalent theme throughout the whole thing. Is is should we be concerned about this? Why? Yes, of course we are. Is there concern within reason, or should we just be out of our like minds with fear? like Nakajima or completely nonchalant and not even given a second thought like most of the other characters like what is what is the proper feeling that you should be having in this time of uncertainty and unease mm-hmm. and there's not like there's not a good answer to that i mean you you probably shouldn't be in the same place that Nakajima is afraid of uh the slightest noise that sounds similar but you shouldn't be like his kid who is trying to instill fear with 
any any little uh, note of uh, note of a bomb. Yeah, it's just uh, and, and 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 I find it I find it I thought it was really interesting that Kurosawa made a film that that expressed these fears and. Because if I ever given the opportunity to talk about Twin Peaks, I will always talk about Twin Peaks. Um, in the new season of Twin Peaks, it's basically, you know, one of David Lynch's always ongoing themes is that of duality. You know, the, the, the TV show Twin Peaks is like probably his most literal statement on that. There's a reason why it's called Twin Peaks. You know, two sides to every coin, two sides to every person. Um, and but that theme is in almost every single one of Lynch's movies. In the new Twin Peaks, you basically you you come to understand through the imagery and the stuff that Lynch chooses to put into the series that his whole basis for this idea is the atomic bomb. He 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 believes you know as conjectured from the context of his art that the atomic bomb is where humanity went wrong. And ever since after the atomic bomb, this is where, you know, the world has shifted. We have, we now have these stark contrasts between good and evil, and it all is rooted in the A bomb. Mm -hmm. So there's another artist who is constantly having the thought of this in his mind. Like, we are capable of this. We are capable of this again. Mm -hmm. What can we do to not do this? And it just, it seemed like a really good, uh, timing coincidence to watch this movie um during the twin peaks run when this kind of you know ideology is already floating around in my mind um from a different perspective um and it is interesting to see it from the japanese perspective because as much as some americans might not like to admit it in star wars we like to think of ourselves as the rebel alliance but to most of the rest of the world we're actually the empire (laughs) and if you put yourself in the shoes of the Japanese, yeah, we're totally like we just fucking death starred two of their cities. Yeah. And we, we, we took over one of their islands and occupied our forces there for um, like seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. From their perspective, what they have no idea what evils and atrocities America is going to do next. And they got the bombs. Right. And. Uh, at the point that this movie was released, Allied occupation had only just uh, let up, really. So now that their people aren't there, or their people aren't there as much, what is going to happen next? Yeah. So I mean, I'm I, I'm totally in tune with what is going on in this movie and understand everything, and it's and it applies to current day as well. You know how much of the fears that we have instilled are rational or, you know, they're still rational, but are we taking them too, too far? Mm-hmm. Because you, you can see what's happened. You can see what's happening and that's fucking terrifying. You know where it's going to go, but you don't know if it actually is going to go there or not. So what level of action and fear should you be engaging in? Right. And I think that's what the movie's trying to, you know, uh, it's called, I live in fear and the, the main character is that extreme, but uh, there is someone all around the spectrum in this movie. Need to take a moment, though, and just talk about Mifune again, because I didn't think this movie was that great. Um, I mean, I thought it was good, but Mifune 
what he does in this role is incredible. Like not just makeup wise was he unrecognizable, but his uh, body posture, physical tics, mm-hmm. uh, language, like he is a completely like he is this character. You've never seen him like this in any of the other movies that Mufune stars in. Um, you see it where he's amazing and he is that character in whatever movie because Mifune was that good, but it's just, it was something next level in this one. Yeah, he seems to embody Nakajima fully, like, so much so that we didn't recognize him at all. <laughs> so good, and he sells it. He sells it so hard, and um, at the end of the movie, when the character, it becomes more complex to to talk about the the, the character's placement in the film and within his himself, he still just is there and you and all those nuances he's able to sell so perfectly mm-hmm. all right uh well what how do you think this fits in with uh his other four the other films in this set um three of them deal like directly with this post war mindset uh Skangal, uh, as we've said not not as much but how do you think this fits in with capturing this post-war feeling in Japan. It is second to only no regrets for my youth for definitely 100% showing the the thoughts and fears of uh, that time period. Mm-hmm. You know, One Wonderful Sunday also did a really great job, but that was more of, you know, the, the current economic status after the war. But in terms of dealing with the realities of the war itself, like this one and no regrets for my youth. Absolutely peg it that they deal with this theme the most fully. It's not my favorite of the set next to no regrets for my youth, but just in terms of dealing with the, the, the themes of being a post-war and dealing with Japan in the war. Mm-hmm. See, I think I might be like the exact opposite where I like, I really liked uh, uh, the idiot Kang's one wonderful Sunday. And then I Live in Fear and No Regrets for Our Youth are, like, behind those two for me. Yeah. Um, just because those are such personal stories. Uh, like, not that this isn't, but... <clears throat> yeah, in terms of, like, how I, like, feel about it, and not not in the theme of the set, but, like, hey, I watched five movies. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, rank them one to five? This is probably my least favorite of the five. Yeah, that's probably true. But, you know, it, I might like it more than The Idiot just because it tells a complete story <laughs> um, and is not fragmented to, to hell and back. I mean, that's really the only bad part about The Idiot is yeah. what happened to it. Um, you know, I, I, I really like Scandal because Shimura was was awesome and Mifune was awesome. Everybody, you know, all, all five of these movies are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think thinking of I Live in Fear in the context of Kurosawa's overall filmography is where it becomes more perplexing. Like we were talking about, you know, it with The Idiot, he had just come off of Rashomon. So he had been ramping up and up, and boom, there's Rashomon. And here comes The Idiot, which looked like it was really, really good, but we can't tell because his four-and-a-half-hour movie got edited down to two-and-a-half. Yeah. And then he goes on and does Ikaru, which is like your favorite movie of all time. I still haven't seen that one. And then he does Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai needs no introduction. The epic of all time. Yeah. And then I live in fear. It doesn't fit. It doesn't feel 
like in the progression of things because right after I Live in Fear, he does Throne in Blood, which is incredible. Um, and then the Lower Depths and the Hidden Fortress. I, I Live in Fear just doesn't – it feels like it belongs – way earlier in his filmography, like right next to No Regrets for My Youth and One yeah. Wonderful Sunday. Yeah. Not after Seven Samurai. <laughs> Maybe he uh, he did Seven Samurai and then he's like, I need a break from all this death and destruction. And now we just need the fear of death and destruction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not quite, not quite there. Yeah. So uh, it, is, it is clear that Kurosawa has a lot to say about this post-war Japan, and you know maybe he did just have this one last story to get Agabon before he was satisfied. He just recedes back into ancient history of Japan for the rest of his career, minus a couple of aberrations. Yeah, and it could be from that uh, the Fisher, the Fisherman thing that happened just a year prior to this film that yeah. influenced him. Makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Well, uh, any closing thoughts on I Live in Fear? It's pretty good. Um, definitely low-tier Kurosawa, I think, but it's terrific because Mifune is amazing in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I really everything that we've already just kind of talked about. Yeah, it's but- it's a weird it's a weird movie in his in the context of what he's been doing. So I think I think I think that having it in this post-war set is the best place for it. Because you watch it alongside all of his more early films. Yeah. Like, so I feel I, like The Idiot could have a place outside of this set if it was four and a half hours long. Absolutely. But, alas. <laughs> Otherwise, all these all these films, uh, save for Scandal, which, like, I just feel like they didn't want to make a Blu-ray for Scandal by itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they fit together very well. Yeah. It was a good set. Um, I'm really happy to finally have watched it. I don't know how long ago it was when I bought this damn box. <laughs> um, it might have been before I got my house, oh, which is goodness. a really good barometer because that was over six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we get to them actually. Yeah. We're finally here. That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so we, we are going to take a break from Kurosawa for maybe uh, one or two podcasts and cover some other films before going back into Kurosawa. Uh, Chris, what would be the next Kurosawa? The next Kurosawa that we will get to will be Drunken Angel from 1948. So we're going back in time, but we're getting to the more, the individual releases that Criterion has released. That's exciting. I don't have Drunken Angel, so I'll have to figure out how to watch that. Uh, we'll have to sign up for the Filmstruck account. Yep. Uh, well... Yeah, because that one that one has not been upgraded to Blu-ray yet. That's still just a DVD. Oh, that's unfortunate. Well, someday, hopefully. Uh, well, we are going to take a break from these Chris hours for for a hot minute, as I said. Uh, Chris, what are we covering in the interim? Oh, is that what you originally asked, and I just misunderstood? Uh, no, I did ask you what the next Chris hour was. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay. Well, the next movie that we're going to that, that we're going to cover as part of our break is inspired by the events of this morning as of this recording. Um, late last night, Tobey Hooper passed away, and Corey has never seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So <laughs> Corey's going to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's going to be incredible. Yep. Uh, I am looking forward to it. Uh, you know, you've never steered me wrong with movies. Uh, well, maybe you've, like, steered me a little off course with movies. <laughs> but off course, they weren't, they weren't bad. still, like, yeah, they're not bad. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, and beginning with these, beginning with Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the next Kurosawa's that we're doing, we uh, will hopefully be bringing some guests on um, to talk to us about these longer form Kurosawa's. And if you're interested, reach out. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Start start bringing the party in. Yep. Uh, I think we've uh, solidified what the format of talking about these Kurosawa's are now. <laughs> Wait, there's a format? No. <laughs> it's, it's me. It's, it's us watching the movie and then me randomly thinking questions to ask you. So <laughs> so there's not like this couple seconds of dead air. And we're like, what do we say next? It's good, though. It's good. Yep. So I, I really look forward to uh, to you watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then talking about it. That's going to be fun, I think. Yep. Uh, well, uh until then, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back with Ruby and Don to talk about Yacht Show. Corey, so I totally checked out that Anime Nostalgia podcast you told me about last time. And it's pretty awesome. What? You forgot already? Oh. You know how my memory is, Chris. It was a long time ago. Corey. Okay, well, it's called the Anime Nostalgia Podcast, and it's all about nostalgia for old anime, but not just the nostalgia. Like, if if you're a younger fan and you've never gotten the chance to watch stuff like, you know, Go Lion, which got turned into the original Voltron, or... You know, you like Inuyasha, but everybody tells you that Rumiko Takahashi was better way back in the day with Urusei Yatsura, but you don't know what that is. I thought Rumiko Takahashi was at her peak with Rene, Chris. I don't know. I don't know either, but, you know, maybe someone thinks that. But this is the podcast that tells you about all the history, the old stuff. But Look, there there was a recent episode. It was all about Lupin. Lupin's my boy. (laughs) So. You know, that, that that should tell you what you're in for, because Lupin is the greatest. Mm. I do like Lupin. Where can I find this podcast? You can find it at animenostalgia.blogspot.com. And it's also, because it's a podcast, you just have to download the episodes, like, from wherever you get your podcasts from. You don't even have to go to the website, and you just get get the sounds. I like the sounds. The sounds are good. I'll check this podcast out. You should, because you're the one who told me about it the first time, <laughs> dork. <laughs> Look, I'm just going with our roles this time, which is I have to ask the questions. Well, I think we did our job then. All right. This is good breaking the fourth wall for an egg. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are back. Dawn is with us now. Hi! And Ruby. Hello. And we are here to begin a series that will hopefully not take three years like the same, same gunk one did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but th- this one is technically a longer show, so you never know. It might take four years. Uh, oh, no. When did the original plan to talk about this become birthed? Uh, two years ago? Probably, like, yeah, two years ago. When, when yeah, were you something like that. It? No, I watched it for the podcast a year ago. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize, Ruby. I'm so, I'm so bad. It's okay. 
You were just overzealous. I remember all of that happening. It was like, Ruby, we don't even know. Just slow down. What are you doing? Oh, God. Oh, I finished it in three days. It's just another excuse to watch it again. It's true. The power of Yu Yu Hakusho. It's uh, very good. Well, um, yes, we are here to talk about Yu Yu Hakusho. For today, we will just talk about the Spirit Detective Saga, which is the first uh, the first arc in Yu Yu Hakusho. There's like several, actually several arcs in it. Um, it leads up to the matchup of Yusuke and Kuwabara against the Tiguro brothers in Tarukade's mansion, and it starts with Yusuke dying. But before we get into that proper, uh, Togashi has quite a history of manga making. Don, I think you might be the most specific to talk about this. Do you, uh, you know much about his history of manga and stuff? Uh, not as much as, like, uh, I, I probably should have talked to my friend Trisha about it because she's super, super into Togashi. She loves all of his works. Um, when we were at A-Fest together, actually, we made uh, mangaka Ita bags. Oh, yes. I saw that uh, photo. Which, it was very cute. Yeah, which was her idea, actually. She wanted to do a Togashi one. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what if I did a matching Naoko Takeuchi one because they're married and she's the artist of Sailor Moon, which I also love. So we were like matching with our mangaka Ita bags. And every time anyone asked what they were, they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> They thought it was a neat idea. It was it was pretty fun. But she she's the one who's like super knowledgeable about uh Togashi, but um I do really enjoy his manga because he is really super talented. And Yu Yu Hakusho was the first thing of his I ever actually watched or read. But I I really enjoyed it and his style I thought was particularly really beautiful and nice to look at especially for around that time, because it seemed like around that time, a lot of manga artists in Shonen Jump were going for more of like a grittier look. And his was more, I don't want to say like shoujo inspired, but it looked a little softer, a little more playful. And I enjoyed that. I read like after the anime part of Hunter x Hunter as well. I watched mm-hmm. a couple episodes of Lovely and I wasn't into it, but maybe that's good in manga form. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, like I said, he he's married to Naoko Teguchi, who did Sailor Moon, and um, it's really cute because they got they were introduced to each other by Megumi Ogata, who did the voice of Kurama in the anime, and was also the voice of Sailor Uranus in Sailor Moon, and she was the one who was like, "Hey, you're both manga artists. You should like be friends." And so, then they started dating and got married eventually. That's cute. And. Uh, yeah, I, I always thought that was really cute. And um, and sh- both of them have helped each other on um, manga work that they've done, which is also, I think, pretty adorable. Like, when uh, when Togashi's health gets pretty bad, apparently uh, Naoko helps him uh, with inks and things on his manga when he needs extra help. He always needs that extra help. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're both getting pretty old, and they're both making these manga the grueling schedules of 15, or not 15, like 19, 20 pages per week. Mm-hmm. It's too much. Yeah, I don't think Naoko does so much uh, manga anymore. She, used to, she tried to do a few different series after Sailor Moon, and none of them really ever took off. So I think she's just decided, like, well, I did my one big hit. I'm okay with it. <laughs> making all that Sailor Moon money now, so. Yeah, that, that, right. that money, that, that's money that lasts forever. You don't need to do anything. <laughs> 
Yeah, when you're the creator of Sailor Moon, you don't really have to make anything else after that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I know not too long ago, I think Togashi announced he was doing another hiatus because of his health. Um, but that's understandable because, I mean, like you said, he's getting older and he needs the rest. Yeah. That's more important than manga. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Ruby, you, you started re-watching the series, uh, what did we say, two years ago before we started recording? Um, a year ago. A year ago, okay. It was a while ago. And which burned, spurred me to action because I really wanted to podcast you, Hawk Show. It's like the thing that I, that got me into anime and manga. Uh, what, <laughs> what motivated you to revisit the series? Um, it's really good. I have watched it probably six times in my life. Every couple of years, I just pop in and I watch it again. Whenever I want, like, a good shonen thing, it's, like, only 110 episodes. It's real quick. It's good. No filler. <laughs> so it's real good when you're playing World of Warcraft and you need some background noise. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you did. You played World of Warcraft and watched you. I did. All right. Good plan. Well, how did you, how did you all get introduced to you, Hawk Show, the first time? I watched it on Toonami because I'm a young person. <laughs> um, and I was like at that age that uh, in the 13, 14 range when I was wanting to watch things by other things, I guess. You have show was high level for it, but how, how did everyone else get introduced to it? Well, since I'm probably one of the older people on this podcast, um, I got into it through fan subs on VHS uh, before it was ever released over here because... I, well, first of all, I thought it looked interesting when I saw, like, art of it in, like, Japanese magazines. I was like, oh, this looks interesting. What what could this be? And then someone had told me that the, um, the, the voice of Sailor Uranus played a character in it, and I really liked her. She was one of my favorite characters. And then when I found out it was a really gorgeous man... <laughs> I was like, um, now I'm really excited about this. Now I really want to see it. Um, so I got the first couple tapes and was like, ooh, this is really cool. I'm into it. Like, this is fun. And I didn't realize at the time it was going to be so long. <laughs> but I ended up getting all of the tapes and watching it. And um, okay. then when, it, yeah, it, it took a while. Tapes. but Yeah, it was like, oh, man. Uh... <laughs> I don't even, I think I lost count after a while how many tapes it was. I had a whole shelf of just like that one row was just like Yu Yu Hakusho tapes, oh, uh, which was ironically right under my shelf of all of my Sailor Moon tapes. Because <laughs> they're about the same length, I think. They're, well, no. no it's like 200 episodes. Yeah. yeah. So I had more Sailor Moon tapes than Yu Yu Hakusho ones. But, um, um, and then when it finally got picked up over here, I started buying the legal release and because I wanted to support it and I ended up uh, I think giving all of my copies away to like an anime club so they could use them mm-hmm. um, and then I bought it again when it came out on DVD <laughs> and then I bought it again uh, when the remasters came out a worthy purchase every time yeah every single time yes. because it's it's a fun show and also it has one of the best anime openings ever. Oh, I love the opening. Smile Bomb is a jam. <laughs> Chris, what about you? Well, as the other really old person here, um, 
but the one person who actually didn't get into anime until after graduating high school, um, I found out about it just because of Funimation releasing it. So, like, basically, this was like the fourth or fifth show that Funimation put out when they were starting out as a actual company that did more than Dragon Ball. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, basically, like, the first thing that I became obsessed with was uh, Dragon Ball. But at the time, like, all the shows that I was randomly finding, because I didn't, I never, I never, I didn't use the internet, you know, I had just moved to Colorado at a, after graduating high school, so I didn't really use the internet, I didn't know anybody, so there was no, like, uh, network for me to plug into. So I would just, like, randomly buy things at uh, Media Play. <laughs> um, and so, like, that's how I got into, like, Gunsmith Cats and Nadesco and Evangelion. They were just complete randomly, like, oh, I like this box that's sitting on the shelf. Um, and then uh, Funimation, you know, watching every, you know, every month when a new Dragon Ball tape would come out, they had the trailers for Yu Yu Hakusho saying, hey, here's our new thing. And I was like, oh, that's really different from anything I'm used to because here I am just watching Nadesco and Evangelion. I had no concept of what the Shonen Jump template was, even though you can't avoid it nowadays because Naruto and Bleach ruined everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I just I just I started buying the singles completely blind um, when they first came out because I was like, well, I like Dragon Ball. Blue Gender was all right. I didn't know about Fruits Basket, and basically Yu Yu Hakusho was the only other thing that they had put out. And I was like, well, let me follow, you know, this scrappy little company that's starting up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back uh, when they were, like, a tiny little company. Yeah. Man, times have changed. Right. <laughs> and so I was, I was buying um, all the singles as they were coming out um, and absolutely adored it. And right around the end of the Spirit Detective arc that we're focusing on today, that was when I decided I was like, oh, I just realized how long this show is. So I'm going to wait until Funimation puts them out in box sets because it was around that time that Funimation started re-releasing like Dragon Ball and everything in uh, DVD boxes. They, they would just package up a couple of singles together and you would save like 30 or 40 bucks. Uh, basically, you would get one disc for free. Yeah. So I decided to wait um, for them to start doing that for the Yu Yu Hakusho boxes. So I completely stopped. I never had TV uh, after I had moved out of my parents' house and everything. I ne never had cable, so I didn't know it was on Toonami. And then years went by, <laughs> and they never released the boxes. And then they started releasing the boxes, but they were massive. They were like 12 discs in one box. I was like, I can't fucking afford that. You're out of your mind. <laughs> and this, the, I think the singles at that time, like they were just starting to release the chapter black saga. And so I just completely like basically ended up dropping it unintentionally just because of poor decisions on my behalf. <laughs> um, and then when I had, uh, after my very ill-fated move to Cleveland, when I had come back to Colorado after that, I had discovered, oh, Funimation had re-released the whole series in those uh, two-disc DVD sets. Mm -hmm. So there's only eight of those, and they were pretty cheap. So I bought those, and that was the first time I, was, I actually sat down and watched the whole thing. So it was like eight years until I finally got around to finishing watching the show. <laughs> After only seeing um, the uh, the Spirit Detective saga over and over and over again, because those were the 
like nine discs that I had. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those first box sets that they put out were basically just the singles in boxes. <laughs> and they, they 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 just packaged way too many of them together. Like they it was it was ridiculous. I was like, I can't afford that. I remember seeing those in Fye a lot when I walked mm-hmm. in there before they closed in my mall. Yeah, before I moved, there was a place where um, it was like a video game store, but they also uh, you could trade in anime there, and they would resell stuff. And someone had taken all of their old box sets and traded them in there, and it was like it took up half of a wall <laughs> of just the Yu Yu Hakusho box sets. And the worst part was like they still wanted like twenty bucks for each box, and I was like, <laughs> good luck. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Oh gosh. Uh, uh, well, uh, have we all read, read and watched Yuhak Show, or has some of us just watched it? I haven't reread the manga in a long time. I read it ages ago, but uh, right now I'm just rewatching the series. <laughs> so once again, the manga is my failing. I haven't read it either because. Viz decided they were going to start releasing manga in box sets. I was like, well, Yu Yu Hakusho will definitely get one of those. <laughs> no. And, and guess what's out of print now? <laughs> oh, no, they actually started reprinting Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, I think a year. Yeah, like a year or two ago. Oh, is that okay, because then. of the popularity of Hunter Hunting? Possibly. They, they did that with a few of their older series. Like, they started reprinting JoJo's again. Uh, and that was, like, right before the anime started airing. And they re- they started reprinting Doctor Slump, which I was kind of happy about. And I Shield Twenty One, I can finally finish that series. Yeah, so it's nice that they went back and they reprinted uh, a bunch of those older ones. But yeah, yeah, Yu Yu Hakusho. They even have like some chapters up on their website free to read, which I thought All was right. pretty cool. I'll have to try to snag those up because it was a manga I always wanted to read because I love the anime and just reading the manga is just. It's just faster and easier sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. just sit down in bed and read a book or whatever. Yeah. Um, There's also a whole bunch of stuff that they never animated in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Right Stuff has all of the volumes up on their website for a variety of prices. <laughs> I discovered I only own the first 18 of the 19 volumes when I was preparing for the show. So, he needs to I, think I, read the <laughs> I thought I read it. I don't own it. Someone also told me, I was talking to someone, I can't remember who, but someone told me they read all of it at their library, and I was like, oh, I forgot you can read manga at the library. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up, like, with no manga at the library, so now whenever I see it at ours, I'm like, oh, it's so cool, you can just read manga for free at the library, wow. Uh, Yes, if you want to read Bleach, my library is very good for that. Anything else, (laughs) I'll try to uh, Ellen is always talking about libraries on, on manga in your ears. Um, basically every episode, she's like, go to your library, find this there, if you, can't have it, if you don't have any money. Yeah, it's it's crazy what some libraries carry. I mean, mine's pretty small, but they still have a pretty decent-sized manga section. Very cool. Uh, well, we have uh, been talking for however long. We have not even gotten into the what the show is about yet. Um. <laughs> well, it's because the show is is different, man. It's like three different shows in one. It's true, man. <laughs> uh, 
So this first arc <laughs> begins with Yusuke Urameshi, a, a junior high thug who gets into a lot of fights, skips a lot of school, smokes cigarettes, which they <laughs> did not include in the anime, and he has died. You can't show kids smoking, Corey. That's why they had to black it out in JoJo's. Because <laughs> it's bad. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Yusuke has died at the beginning of the series. Um... Yes. Whoa, are we spoiling this? <laughs> yes. Yeah, spoiler alert. I was advised against it by Vinny, but let's just my I guess Vinny, you have so. to I guess you have to tell it, you know. I mean doesn't isn't, isn't the first episode called like something like Yusuke's died or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's not Shonen really Jump episode titles were the best way back in the nineties. I love all of those episode titles so much. I noticed when I watched some episodes on Hulu that, like, I I don't know why, but Hulu has the episode titles different than what they're actually called. I think they might be, like, the dub names of the, of the episodes or something. Do they have different names but, for the dubs and the Japanese ones? I don't, yes, I don't know. Do. No, they do. So. It's, they it's do? On, it's even on the Wikipedia. So, like, episode two, the literal translation of the Japanese title is... Koenma of the Spirit Realm, A Trial Towards Resurrection. And the Funimation's title was just Koenma Appears. Uh, well, they're not wrong. <laughs> no, no, they're they're not, but yeah, they this was this was so long ago, like doing a dub, like you basically hid anything that wasn't uh domestic about the show, like crazy episode titles that were long and told you what happened in the episode oh no that's so japanese we don't do that here in america we just say someone went to the mall you know or something <laughs> like that so they they every they had to change everything back then it's ridiculous yeah. the well, gang goes to the underworld the first episode is just called surprise to be dead in both english yeah. and japanese yeah yep. i knew it was something like it it tells you right away someone dies yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh well yusuke dies and, but he gets a chance to be resurrected since no one expected him to sacrifice his life to save a kid from an oncoming car. And the child was not even going to be hurt. Right. Son of a bitch that. kid. Putting salt in the wounds. <laughs> no, what they, re- what they really were going to do, it was a conspiracy, man. That kid was going to, like, die and, like, uh, his mom was going to like go crazy or something so they're like oh we better reward you and instead so they're like oh no um he would have been fine yeah sure yes yes mm. <laughs> that car was out of control that kid would have been dead just talking to this girl <laughs> going like 60 in like downtown area like yep. speed limit is probably 20 <laughs> they came around the corner on two wheels <laughs> I mean, that's pretty fast. His initial gate level. <laughs> <laughs> Running in the 90s is playing. <laughs> uh, well, he gets this chance to be resurrected. Um, spoilers, he eventually succeeds, and he becomes the spirit detective of uh, for Koenda, and thus sets, sets the stage for all of Yusuke's shenanigans from here on out. So the manga, um, the anime gets him back to life pretty quickly uh, in five episodes, but yep. the manga 
it takes two whole volumes. He has a lot more adventures as he's dead in the manga. He entertains this little girl who was sick her whole life and never got to have any friends to play with. He entertains a different girl who was uh, so committed to uh, this boy who she thought was a boyfriend-ish, kind of, but he was just a dick. Um, and then he also helps out this uh, old friend from elementary school who was called Matsu the Doug. And uh, he got into boxing because he wanted to try to be able to defend himself and also this, this honorable thing of fighting. So he's trying to just, like, prove throughout all these trials that um, he is worthy of being brought back to life. And the, the only one that the anime kept was uh, uh, when his house <laughs> went on fire and Keiko had to save him. And he's like, no, just do the thing, save her, and I don't care what the consequences are. You know, Takuo Bar pass a test, too. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, and we get that great scene where, uh, what was it, Kobara dreams that he's like, embracing him. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's so sparkly and, and cutesy. And then he wakes up like, what was that? And Yusuke also helps Kobara in his dreams, study for science tests. Yep. Learning about hemoglobin. <laughs> so that's awesome. I didn't know that there were more stories in this section because... This could have been a five-episode OVA, and that was it, and I would have been happy because I love mm-hmm. these first five episodes so much. Like you don't, you don't, you could never imagine that it goes to, you know, Shonen Jump tournament places that it does later on with just these five episodes. And I, I really do. I, I've watched these first five episodes way too much. Like without even <laughs> considering continuing on. Like I'll, I would. Over the years, I just pop it in and watch like the first five episodes thinking, you know, yeah, maybe I'll watch the whole thing. No, I just watch the first five and then I put it away (laughs) for another year. The first five episodes are really strong. The first episode alone is probably one of the best first episodes of any series, especially Mm -hmm. ones that don't tell you what the series is actually going to be. Like, Mm -hmm. I just rewatched it earlier today because we had short notice on this, so I hadn't even started rewatching the show. I apologize. Um, So I I watched the first episode about an hour ago, and there's just so much that happens. It it feels like maybe it's like a double episode, like it's an hour long or something. There's just so much that goes on. Yeah. Uh, Togashi packed a lot of information in that first little bit. And it's funny because it doesn't feel like it's rushed or anything. It, it all feels pretty well-paced, which is amazing because most other anime who, that try to do that usually get it wrong. <laughs> this is a larger chapter. The first chapter is like 50 pages. Um, and that goes until the point where Yusuke decides to come back to life. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It is a bit of a gut punch several times where like, the whole funeral thing is I know. Just, it is. Too oh. much. He sees he, he sees Keiko crying and then he sees Kuwabara rush the fuck in. Which is my favorite thing. Oh yeah. It's oh. so good. <sighs> and then his mom. Oh his mom. Oh. The little kid who doesn't know what dying is. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. The little kid. And probably one of the things that I think is most remarkable is, you know, everybody thinks that Funimation does good dubs now, which I think their dubs over the last decade have been terrible because they figured out how to act. Like, it's just, they're just bland. I say it every time we talk about a fucking Funimation show. Um, and this is like one of their very first dubs. Like, it's their fourth or fifth show. 
and people might say, oh, well, they're not that good. It's like, no, it makes it so much better because uh, I think it's Chris Sabat that does Kuwabara's voice. Yep. He, even though he has that really annoying kind of frog rasp in it, which is bothersome. I love the frog rasp. That's cool <laughs> bar for me. Yeah, that's it's the charm. Still, yeah, but he's still just so powerful, too. Um, and then you watch it in the in the Japanese, and he's got like this, you know, I'm actually 30 years old, not 14 voice. <laughs> that's and, normal for Shonen Jump titles, though. <laughs> and it's still so powerful and so moving when he bursts into the funeral screaming mm-hmm. about he's the one who's supposed to to kill him and come back you coward like yeah yeah both the japanese and the english dubs they're so good for every character but when it really counts like this this kurobara scene that's something that to me like that's that's like a money shot that's the the, the oscar scene if you will <laughs> the, the fact that they're both so good it, yes. i think it speaks more to the just the source material and the script itself than, you know, whoever is uh, doing the voice performance. It's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never really seen the dub. I've seen clips of it. um, Cause I grew up before, you know, watching it before the dub was even made. (laughs) So the, the Japanese one is like my default, but uh, the first time I heard Kuwabara, I was kind of like, whoa, that's really different. But, you know, it kind of grew on me a little bit. And you're, you're absolutely right that he really is good at those, like, super emotional points, especially from what I've seen. But, like, Chris Sabat, like, still does stuff for them, doesn't he? I think. Yeah, he's Vegeta forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he's come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> he's still working. Yeah. I think he mostly directs these days. Yeah, he did Borderlands 2 directing. Oh, oh wow. I think so, yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, he's still doing the anime thing. I don't think he does many voices anymore, except Vegeta and Piccolo and I think a handful of others. He used to do way more, but with Kai, he was just like, no, I'll, just, I'll do Vegeta and Piccolo, and then someone else do everybody else that I did. Because he had, like, five more major <laughs> characters, including oh, Yamcha and... Uh, a couple others I don't remember. Yusuke goes through these trials to come back to life. And that's the end of the show. It's amazing and perfect. <laughs> that's it. That's the show. No. Two hours, you sit down, you enjoy it, and it's one of the greatest things you'll ever watch. No, it's an incredible <laughs> journey. You don't get to Karama yet, Chris. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You gotta at least get to Karama. <laughs> My boy. You're, you're right, because it does get better because of the cat. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go on, Corey... Um, are there any, like, stories that were cut from the anime that are super good? Because the only one I remember is the Christmas one. I have no memory of any of the other ones at all. Uh, I wouldn't say that any of them are super good, but there are a couple that are pretty good. Anything you feel shouldn't have been cut out of the anime? I don't think any of this is completely necessary. It just kind of does, does more to establish who Yusuke is, where he's like, is this delinquent? He's very crude. It's very straightforward, but... He has uh, some strong sense of what is right in the world, even if he goes about writing it by punching people. <laughs> because he's a delinquent. That's the one thing I was really excited, like, when... Because I basically, right after my Slam Dunk rewatch, I jumped right into Yu Yu Hakusho. And I was like, oh, this was a great idea. More delinquents. <laughs> More good, sweet boys that are delinquents. 
in Kuwabara. The delinquent a. anime is the best. It is. It really is. And Kuwabara, aka Hanamichi, have the same hair. So, <laughs> <laughs> look, if you don't have a pompadour, you ain't doing it right. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm so upset that we never got a full release of Shaman King um, because that is the king pompadour of all pompadours in anime. I never watched Shaman King. But, or Red what? Shaman King. Oh, God, did that just go? Oh, oh my God, Shaman King is the best, you guys. Please watch it. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I don't think I ever did see Shaman King. <gasps> there's delinquents in it. Maybe I should. Oh, you should. There, There is a delinquent. He's terrific. He's oh, got a boy. pompadour that's like six feet long. Oh, man. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and it gets cut in half in like the second or third episode, and he spends the rest of his the, the show trying to grow it back, but it grows like a bamboo shoot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's sad. Poor, poor thing. Okay, I'm sorry. I actually used to get those giant jump magazines, um, but I didn't read Shaman King because I wasn't super into it. I'm sorry, Chris. My Chinese Hong Kong bootlegs of the anime laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> With the most unreadable subtitles of all time. <laughs> they probably say hoo 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 instead of hee hee. I couldn't tell you because literally, like, the names of characters changed every two or three episodes. Oh, God. It, it was, it was, there really it was one of those kinds. Yeah. Oh, I remember But they that. stayed consistent between the same episode? Yes. At least that's a pretty good bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, memories. Oh, well, um, Yusuke comes back to life. He is forced into the role of spirit detective by way of Kuwabara's cat. Um, which is where he eventually runs into uh, Kurama, the greatest character in all of Yu Hakusho, and also <laughs> his two buddies, Hiei and Goki, who have stolen three artifacts from Koenma's father's vault. Uh, in the English dub, they call this the Orb of Basques, the Forlorn Hope, and the whatever the fuck Hiei sword was. Shadow Sword, I guess. Finally found it on Wikipedia. <laughs> Well, what did, what did you all uh, think of these episodes? This was quite a turn from bringing the Yusuke back to life. Chris, I know you were very attached to it. Were you, like, devastated after it turned out to be this kind of anime? I was pretty oh. thrilled that they turned it into, like, a detective show with mysteries every week, like Detective Conan, and that carried it through 100 episodes. <laughs> I, agree, I agree with Ruby. The, the, the transition here... I was okay with because I thought, oh, oh, that's really interesting, and it's weekly detective things. Like I thought that was going to be really cool. I was really excited for for Yusuke the detective. Um, I really liked these episodes actually. <laughs> that was the second curveball of the show. There's a lot of curveballs in the show. At least in yeah, the back arc. back before that was like the norm in shonen anime uh, for them to be like it's. Actually, it's this. No, wait. Actually, it's this. <laughs> and then just when you're getting comfortable, now it's this. this? But yeah, I uh, when I first saw it, I I I was really shocked because I thought it was just going to be like dead kid uh helping people forever. Uh so when he was revived and then like, oh, now there's mysteries you have to solve and like people you got to fight. I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I can I can still dig this. This is interesting." And then finally, like, Kurama showed up, and I was like, yes! <laughs> I'm into this! 
Karama's story in his own kind of tracks you, too. It's really great because, like, you know, he wasn't really into it for, like, the the other reasons that the other two were, which seemed kind of selfish. He was mostly like, hey, uh, I want to save my dying mom, even though she's not really my mom. But I think of her as my mom, and I want to save her. So, of course, I was just like, oh, he's such a sweet boy. <laughs> he just wants to save his mom. <laughs> So, yeah, that's why Teenage Me was just like, Kurama. Of course, also, he was very pretty, and he was voiced by Megumi Ogata, who I already loved. Oh. And and then, like, later you find out he has roses, and you're just like, oh. <laughs> he he's just have, perfect. He doesn't have this attitude like he and Yusuke. Yeah, he's, he's like the, he's the thinker of the group. He's the more just kind of Whoa. sit back and watch everything go down and plan stuff, whereas uh, genius, the rest... Genius Kuwabara, excuse you. <laughs> He's the brains in the whole operation. Of course. How how could I be so blind? <laughs> but um, whereas, like, uh, Yusuke is more of the brawn, and Hiei is more of the speedy one he's he's really fast and really small and kuwabara is the one with all the heart and and also brawn because he's also pretty strong is he ruby (laughs) (laughs) of course no kuwabara dissension (laughs) i always thought he had like the best fights in the show he always like had this great comeback and it was always great and on this rewatch i realized no he usually loses and he doesn't usually come back he gets beat up a lot. He does. He wins when it matters. But <laughs> uh, not usually. <laughs> Every once in a not while, he wins when it win matters. Win or lose, it is not whether you win or lose, Ruby. He has the heart and, and the gumption, and that's important. I can't believe this dissension. Kumaras. <laughs> I'm not saying he's not the best, but he's not the best because Hiroma's the best. But oh god. <laughs> well, now. The whole thing with them uh, stealing the artifacts was a pretty interesting arc, I thought. Yeah, this episode, these episodes, if nothing else, show that Yusuke is crafty and lucky as heck. Yes, super lucky. Yeah, it was a really terrific three-episode sequel OVA. Um, <laughs> I really like the the angle that they take with the, the detective and the, the big crime and, oh, the hidden motivations. This was terrific. I'm actually glad that they came back for a sequel, but this was the end of the show, and <laughs> everything is amazing. Uh, of course. I especially yeah. like the part, I believe, Yusuke's line when Botan asks, what happened? What would happen if your spirit gun didn't reflect off the mirror? And Yusuke's like, I don't know, die, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was worth a shot. <laughs> don't be hating. <laughs> And also, I I think I read somewhere that originally, um, Hiei has that form where he has all the eyes all over him, right? Yep. Uh, when they were yep. when they were fighting, and I I read somewhere that originally Togashi wanted to make that like a more permanent thing for Hiei, uh, that basically whenever he would fight, like that would happen. Hmm. But then he got to like actually drawing it, and he was like, nope. "Okay, this is too hard." <laughs> I'm never doing this again. And he never did. Nope. <laughs> He's like too many eyeballs. And they're all in different places. Ah. 
I'm not going to keep track of all this. Forget it. Which was funny because I thought that was like a super interesting look and a super interesting power. Uh, and then we never see it again. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that was cool. Yeah, he just gets too cool for it. <laughs> he turns into a hipster. He's like, ugh. Yeah. He, I'm too cool for these powers anymore. I only need three eyes, not like 20 eyes. Gosh. <laughs> I just find it personally kind of kind of funny that Tagashi decided that having eyes all over his body was too hard to draw repeatedly, but that fucking dragon sword fist thing happens like 18 million times. Right? He was probably regretting that after the third time, though. He was probably like, man, freaking A. I have to keep doing this. His super black dragon absorption thing that's like a Kamehameha, but it's the shape of Shenron. Like It's super elaborate in the anime. It's Dragon of the Darkness Flame, Chris. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> Why in the world would you expect me to remember these things? I remember them. Well, yeah, that's a pretty good point. You're you're really bad. <laughs> Are you supposed to shout out your attack names when you're playing with your friends if you don't remember them? Exactly. There's that's the true. Dragon of the Darkness Flame, and then when he was like, "I'm not going to fuck up my arm again," he used the Sword of the Darkness Flame. But before that, he used the Fist of the Mortal Flame because he's like, "This scrub, he can just gonna be on with this thing." <laughs> <laughs> Point is, those all seem way more elaborate than drawing a few extra eyes, alright? This is true. I think he just dug himself into a hole and was like, I don't know how to get rid of this now, so uh, I guess I'm drawing this forever. Yep. Damn it. <laughs> uh, maybe the dragon is easier than... That's just an attack. It's not like he has to draw that Yeah. every time he is on screen, on panel. That's true. Because there's, there's probably way more panels where you have to draw like all the eyeballs and then remember where they all are. Yeah. Whereas so you can, can just, just draw do, one big page with the dragon. Yeah, you do the double page spread with the dragon and then you call it good. Alright, okay. I concede. True. <laughs> well, also, having a bunch of eyeballs is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool looking! It's true. It is cool looking. It, and it reminds me a lot of like, you know, the, the horror stuff that sometimes he squeezes in there. Yep. That's that's why I liked it, anyway. It reminds me a lot of Naruto at this point. Because in the later years of what? Naruto, they just start attaching eyeballs all over people. Because Because oh, yeah, yeah. the eye powers are the best, so you got to just have more eyes, yeah. more eyes, more eyes, oh, more power, yeah. more eyes. Uh, that, was, that was right when I finally dropped that damn thing. <laughs> nope, I rang all of Naruto. Ugh, you and brave soul. I'm watching Burrito now. You mean Naruto's dad? Naruto's kid. <laughs> Naruto's kid, that's right. Oh, Sorry, I'm tired. <laughs> I couldn't even mean correctly. Oh, I'm old. No, I, I might pick it up again when they do the prequel to Boruto that's all about Naruto's dad. That would be way more interesting. Maybe that's why I, I said it, because I would want to read something like that. Yeah. Uh, well, back to you. Anyway. Okay. anyway. Uh... <laughs> The next arc is Genkai's tournament, where this plucky old lady decides she's going to die soon, and she needs to pass on her uh, abilities to someone else. So yes. to do this, she does a giant ordeal where they have to first pick up a piece of paper, and then play a couple games, and then run through a forest, and then fight each other. <laughs> I love Genkai. Genkai is the true best character. She's so good. I appreciate her even more now that I'm older. I'm like, oh, I want to be that badass when I'm old. Genkai is super legit. 
but I never will be because I'm too lazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess in the anime, uh, in the manga, they have, I believe, two or three chapters where they first play the games and then they run through the forest. But in the anime, they've just compressed that all into one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Yusuke fights Balgok, the back tamer, which he is uh, way different in the manga than he was in the anime. Um, I remember him being relatively badass in the anime, but in the manga, he's kind of like a cartoonish vampire thing. <laughs> That's how he was in the anime, too. This is more cartoonish. Uh, oh, here he is. He's, well, I can't really describe it. <laughs> <laughs> or show it, more importantly. But, uh, he looked kinda cool in the anime. And in the manga, he looks like a cartoon. Is that because Tagashi barely drew that chapter? Yeah, that was yeah. a, that was a couple minute segment in the, in the, uh, anime, wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah. It was two pages in the manga. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I guess they need to fill again with something. Mm-hmm. I think he got taken out, like, off screen in the show, too. Yeah, I think so. They were just like, oh, yeah, he's done. It took me forever to memorize your stupid attack pegger. <laughs> um, but in the next episode, Kuwabara finally finds his special weapon with his spirit sword. His Raiken! Um, he's fighting some dude who's using, like, a thousand-year-old tree uh, wooden sword. And it, what? 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 You fought a tree? No, he's using someone that's <laughs> using a tree. Oh. <laughs> He's fighting someone that's using a tree, um, and it breaks when he when he kicks Kuwabara. Um, Kuwabara picks it up instinctively and just uh, beats the guy down with the spirit sword that he realizes that he can use at all. Um, yeah, because before then it was like uh, it's it's hinted at throughout the bong or well I think in the manga too, but in the anime like that Kuwabara can kind of sense like low level like. Uh, spirit energy and yokai presence and stuff like that. Uh, so this art kind of brings it out to where he can actually use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was in the Which manga was... as well. Uh, Kubara had a funny moment where Yusuke is still dead and he's like, yeah, there's someone watching me right now, I think, but it must be like a low-level demon or a low-level ghost, like a raccoon or something. It's just Yusuke. <laughs> Aww. So why are they actually participating in this tournament? Because they were still, uh, like, pretending it's kind of like a mystery ghost detective show at this point. Oh, yes. It was because Yusuke's little spirit finger was terrible, and so he needed to get, like, a real spirit gun, or it was a spirit shotgun or something, was the technique that Genkai was like, you have to win the tournament before you're worthy to learn my shotgun move. He did, uh, he did learn that eventually, but that is not why he went there. Why he went there is because Botan had tickets to a martial arts thing that he really wanted what? to go to. And My five-year-old memory from the last time I watched <laughs> this is fallible? What are you saying? <laughs> uh, Botan coerced Yusuke into going by saying, if you go, I'll give you these tickets. And Yusuke's like, heck yes. Um, hey, free shit. <laughs> yep. There's also, like, a demon kind of in disguise that was going to kill a lot of people or something. Yeah, that's minor. <laughs> Whose name is literally Rando. Yep. <laughs> I assume they do not have the same connotations in Japanese as they do in English. <laughs> no. Or 25 years ago. Yeah. Right. 
Well, they technically could have translated it as Lando as well, because the R and the L sound are kind of interchangeable in Japanese. Yeah. But I guess they thought Rando sounded better. They probably didn't want to get into any Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that does make for uh, some chuckles when you watch it, because they talk about how, they, oh, they got to find this Rando. And I'm like, hee hee. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of some Rando coming after them, they're coming after the Rando. <laughs> Rando must have destroyed his spirit compass. <laughs> uh, would have been yeah, cool if he was Lando because <laughs> Tulabar's sword is basically a lightsaber. So be like, yeah, it actually does make in the anime like some of the same sounds, which is hilarious. <laughs> like they literally stole some of the lightsaber sounds. I think in those early episodes, they would never notice. Well, all all anime did that back then. Tenshi Muda. Yes, high. it's true. They didn't care. They were like, whatever, lightsaber sounds. Pew, pew. Where was I? Oh, yes. They're they're looking for this dude named Rango. He uh, has killed 99 psychics and stolen their techniques, and he wants Genkai to even out his uh, murder rampage with 100. Um, She's special. She's got to be number one hundo. Yep. Uh, so in the anime, Yusuke has to uh, fight this dude in the dark. Uh, well, that's also in the manga, but... In the anime, he takes Genkai's cigarette and lets him see where this dude is because it's the dark and Yusuke has no spirit sense. But in the manga, Yusuke is just like, all right, just let me light one up before I go in. <laughs> <laughs> there is no ulterior motive. Yeah, no, not for Yusuke. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay that Genkai smokes because she's the older one yep. in, in the show. So they were like, well, this is okay. Let the old lady smoke. And not the 14-year-old kid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Again, cause smoking is bad. Yeah. We can't show the kid smoking, even though he's yeah. a delinquent, and that's kind of like their whole deal, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, there, there's, there's no 14-year-old in, in ever that, you know, smoked or 12 or 13. No, that never happens. Yeah. No, America, never. We are very, never. Uh, you know. Good people. We're super. We're super health conscious yeah. here, right? <laughs> he does introduce. They they have to introduce themselves because there's the eight people left before this tournament. They Kubabara introduces himself as the toughest guy from Sariaska Junior High. And then Yusuke introduces himself as the much much tougher guy at Sariaska Junior High. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a competition between those two. Yep. Uh, well, Yusuke wins his fight by having the lit cigarette, and he accidentally wins his second fight. <laughs> Yeah, by was wasn't it? He just fell in a hole. Yep. <laughs> Literally. Oh, that was the when they were in the like the marshlands or something. Yeah. Those, like water pockets. Okay. Yep. The swamp. Yeah. I remember things. <laughs> and he's like, "Good luck, Kubara. Beat Rango." And then he drops in a hole. And since this dude is using exploding shuriken, that uh, track spear energy, and he's now outputting this huge amount of spear energy. It just hits him. Uh, but, then, but then Kuwabara has to find this dude named Rango, who is masquerading himself as this other dude named Shorin, who is very short and not demeaning looking at all. Yeah, he's basically, he basically looks like uh, Krillin yeah. from Dragon Ball. Without the gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I gotta, I gotta Google this up now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what this dude looks like. What was, how do you spell it? S-H-O-R-I-N. Shorin. 
He looks perfectly innocent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. I remember this guy. Until he <laughs> makes Kuwabara the size of his hand and starts breaking all of his hands, all of his limbs. Oh, that was so hard to watch. I'd totally forgotten about that. I had pushed it out of my mind. Yeah, it's rough. And then I was like, oh my god, Kuwabara, no! Yeah. Not Kuwa-chan! Uh, so Kuwabara is defeated by Rango, and Yusuke, now uh, emboldened by Kuwabara's defeat, goes to fight Rango. Um, he beats Shorin up a little, uh, but Rango is much tougher than Shorin's human exterior, um, and would probably be Yusuke, if not for a happy number of circumstances yet again. Uh, Yusuke is dropped into one of the marshes. Kuwabara, Kuwabara's spirit kind of goes in and saves him. Um, he swims to another part, and as Rango tries to use the same incantation again on Yusuke, uh, it backfires because Yusuke has algae in his ears. <laughs> <laughs> again, he just has basically the best luck. Yep. So good. So, once again, Yusuke accidentally wins, <laughs> and he starts training with Genkai for a period of one to six months. Or one episode. Yep. Uh, apparently, in the in the Japanese, he had him trained for one month. I believe in the manga, he was training for two months, and in the dub, I had him trained for six months. Wow. Hmm. I don't I didn't know realize what the hell. Yeah, I don't know what the discrepancy is. I here. guess they thought it would sound more believable that he got like way super powered if he trained for six months instead of one. I guess. He's also um, He's not that that much more of a badass in the next arc to, like... Yeah. Right. Like, that makes it seem a little bit worse. It's like, dude, you were training for six months, and you... And this is it? <laughs> yeah. Because he was, he was good, but he was he was not, like, you know, how he'll get later. Right. Uh, well, in this next arc, mini-arc, they find that Makai insects have invaded the human world, uh, and they are led by the four saint beasts, and... Uh, I've been told those who watch Fushigi Yugi may, may or may not be familiar with the Four Saint Beasts. Yes, this was actually, when I saw this, and then I saw Fushigi Yugi a few years later, I was like, oh, I know these names. <laughs> I saw them in Yu Yu Hakusho. I don't think I made it that far in Fushigi Yugi when I was watching it. Like I just stopped watching it for some stupid reason. I don't think I made it that far. Oh. Well, but yeah, I, I was like... Yeah, I remember all these. Genbu, Teru, Byako, Suzaku. I know these names. They were also uh, in Chinese uh, folklore. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Chinese uh, astrology. Yes. Or, or, like you said, folklore and stuff like that. Yep. Um, so they have to. They demand that the wall between demon world and human world be torn down, foreshadowing, and. Uh, Human world, of course, says, no, fuck you. <laughs> uh, so Yusuke right, and Kuwabara so. have to enter and fight against these four saint beasts. But they can't do it alone. They'll need help. Yes, which is the beginning of Team Murameshi. Uh, Hiei and Karama show up as part of their, quote, community service, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to fight the saint beasts. Uh, and just like uh, Bruce Lee's uh, unfinished movie, Tower of Death, or whatever it is. I forget the name right now. Game. Game of Death. Game. Um, one person fights each saint beast in a series of very exciting battles. 
uh, Kurama fights Genbu, Kurobara fights Byako, Hiei fights Hiryu, and Yusuke, of course, fights their leader, Suzaku. Uh, at this point, it gets a bit more into, like, this is going to be about a lot of fights instead of about solving detective things. Yeah, this is the beginning mm-hmm. of what it will become. Yep. Uh, so what did you all think of this turn? Originally, I thought it was interesting because it still kind of has that like monster or baddie of the week feel because you get like you know they had to do each monster or each demon separately right so i was still like okay it still kind of is like before it's just now the things that they fight are more powerful and and they're still doing this as kind of like work for uh konima sort of but also at this time, at the same time, while they're doing that, Botan is still in the human world uh, with Keiko because those uh, those bug things are starting to turn people into zombies. Like the terrible teacher. Yeah. And so there's this whole sort of like horror movie parallel happening at the same time where Botan has to help Keiko get out of the school because everyone's turning into zombies, which was kind of interesting. Like when I when I was a kid and I first saw that I didn't really notice the the sort of horror movie aspects that were kind of playing out mm-hmm. like in that which now now that I'm older and rewatching it now I'm like oh this is cool actually I really like this which it also is there's also kind of horror movie ish stuff happening like when they're in that castle at first like there's like monsters and booby traps and stuff that they have to like overcome which is kind of akin to like some of some older horror movies but uh it was it was interesting because that's not something you usually see in like anime especially like 90s anime the whole castle thing reminds me more of like D than horror movies but yeah it's very genius. yeah it's it's kind of a it's kind of like a mix of both i think yeah. really but it it definitely does have shades of that too, especially the whole like, oh your your team has like this trap that they activated and they're stuck underneath it. You have to have you have to pick one to go like uh, unswitch the trap so you can all escape. Yeah, and that was that whole thing with uh, Hiei. Yeah, the uh, they had like a special name for it or something. I don't remember it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, well, Chris, what did you think? Um. <sighs> So thinking back to like when I first watched it, even I really liked the whole Genkai arc. Like I, that felt like a good natural progression and then it integrated the fighting into it really well. And it was like four episodes when it got to this story arc. I still really loved it. You know, for all the reasons Don was saying, cause I like demons and monsters and like all of that really cool stuff, the zombies and the locusts, but then like eight episodes went by and it was still going. Yeah. And it, that's the only thing that started to, to, that started to wear me down with, with this arc, you know, was, okay, that's a weird transition, but it's still, you know, okay, instead of normal detective stuff, it's still, hey, there's creepy zo- uh, zombies and demons and he has to fix it. I was still game. I was still good with that. It just, this arc just went on for way too long, uh, in my opinion. But looking back on it, like when I went back and had watched it again, however many years ago and later that was, um, you you can really see that it's, the during this arc, it's really shaping and molding what it is to become. Like, it's still, it, it, it has, like, the thematic 
and uh, narrative threads from before, but structurally is where it's starting to change. And I think that's the part that kind of was losing me was that structural change. But the narrative, I was still totally down with it. Yeah, and, I think I'd I think, agree. Yeah, and I think the last time I watched it, maybe like five five years ago or so, I think I don't even remember if I watched all of this arc or not. I might have skipped an episode or two just to get through it. Nice. Yeah, it it is a lot. Uh, it, it feels like it drags a little longer than like the previous arcs. That's probably its weakest point. It's definitely the most boringest one. <laughs> this is kind of a boring arc, like in terms of like fighting and stuff. Like the only good fight is Kuabara's, but like the artwork in this arc, this arc starts to get really good because this is when Akiyuki Shinbo comes in and he starts doing like storyboards and episodes, and he does. A lot of the Shaft stuff, like Monogatari. So it ends up looking really good in certain parts here, even if like the actual content is not super interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of really good animation I noticed, especially in the Suzaku fight, especially near the end, where like uh, there's this really neat sort of like shadowy thing that goes on with like Yusuke when he realizes like, oh, this is how I have to fight like this, and it's all like a bunch of really interesting use of uh, colors and shapes to make the, the shadows look like his face. So that was kind of cool because I had totally forgotten about that. <laughs> During the Kuwabara fight, there is like one segment that was kind of reanimated between episodes. In the first part, the first time it was done by Shinbo. So there's like interesting camera angles and stuff like that. And then it's totally like standard and boring when you see the same stuff done again in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's a different animator. Yeah. That's Shinbo. Yeah. I've already worked on this. He does more and more as it, as it goes along. Yeah. I think, like, starting in the Dark Tournament, I think he takes over as, like, chief art man or something. <laughs> like art director. Chief art man. a lot more episodes. <laughs> Pretty much any episode that focuses on Hiei, he does, and then it looks... Really, really good for some reason. Yeah, I know he's his favorite character. I guess he did like a significant amount of that Kie and Gui fight in the last part of the Garden Tournament. Nice. Uh, well, we're in there for ourselves though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're still on the same beast for now. Um, so Yusuke actually uh, has to like sacrifice himself to beat Suzaku because uh, he's just not strong enough. He uses his own life energy to do the final shotgun blast rather than uh, any other solution because it's not that smart and he's not that strong so he doesn't have another solution but Kuwabara does uh, you know make the make the sacrifice try to bring him back to life it succeeds in the end but both a little reckless yeah everyone kept shouting at both of them like why would you do that don't be stupid <laughs> but then they do it anyway because you're a shonen hero what are you supposed to do I don't know. that's right you're supposed to be stupid, especially when you're a delinquent shonen hero. Yeah. Then you're really stupid. Exactly. <laughs> he's a he's a real human, yeah. or, or he's a real hero and human being. Yeah. Uh, yes. This is the same use case that bragged about getting 12 points on his science test because that was higher than Kubara Seven. <laughs> <laughs> he also died once, and it turned out okay. So, yeah. what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, you know that would probably be my mentality if I was in a cartoon. Be like, I already died. I'll just do it again. It's cool. In the sweat. 
Yeah, I mean, all the people I met in the underworld were pretty great, so... Especially in Dragon Ball. I'll take a dozen of those gold legs. And apparently all these demons from hell, you know, get to come back to Earth anyway, so I can just come back and hang with Keiko. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, Um, there is a a bit of a a character moment in the fight against Siryu, who ends up killing Byako because he proves himself to be not worthy, and he gets really intense at this moment and says, uh, no, I will fight him, because I guess he has some sort of camaraderie, or a sense of camaraderie, if not with these people, but in general, and he's not going mm-hmm. to sit around while Sario kills his friend, or so-called friend. <laughs> this is also the part where Kuobara gets really gypped out of his first win, because <laughs> that was a really intense fight. It had, like, three phases. Yep. He had to fight over lava and do all this stuff, and he finally pulled through, and... No, it turns out he was okay. <laughs> yeah, he's not really okay, but he's still alive. Yeah, because Yusuke was pretty, like, uh, emotional about it for a minute. He's like, wow, no, why, you stupid, you weren't supposed to die. And then he was really, everyone was really happy when it when they found out that, uh, no, actually, he's he's okay. Mm, yep, he's just hanging on the other side of the rock. He's like, <laughs> you guys, are you going to come save me? It's too hot, get me off of this damn rock. Yeah. You guys make the... Uh, Biako cat monster donut thing, though. <laughs> cat monster donut. You're just making me laugh with all these stories because I don't remember any of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I really it's did not arc. care for this arc. Yeah, I you know even yeah. when I first saw it. Uh, well, it's a it's a weak arc compared to like the stuff that came before it. Yeah, which is really really strong. Yeah, I mean there's still some really good character moments and some interesting things in there, but. Overall, it's probably one of the weakest. Yeah. Um, but this next arc, which is the fight against Kigoro, the Kigoro brothers, and Kirukane's mansion, sets up for the Dark Tournament. Um, yeah. So, Yusuke and Kuobara have come back. Kuobara is a little bit of a dick. And <laughs> when Yusuke asks, what about Botan and, Botan and Keiko, he just kind of looks away sad. And they burst in the door and... <laughs> Yeah, because he was being a dick about it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of deceive him into thinking they've died, but no. Also, like I pointed out on Twitter, this is where we see Kuobara's bedroom, and he has an Oingo Boingo poster on the wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that also because... a reference to JoJo's? Was, was, the, was the JoJo arc happening at the same time? Uh, I think uh. it might have been, but I'm not sure. No, yeah, uh, Stardust Crusaders was happening at the same time. But I'm not sure if they'd gotten to that point yet. Oh. Well, in the... Uh, they might have. I don't know. I don't know when the manga came out, but when the, this section of the anime was happening, they had to have been well past Oingo Boingo um, in the manga. I don't think they had. Although been. in... But it doesn't matter because Oingo Boingo is a band, so they could have just yeah, been fans right. of weird science. It, yeah, so, so. exactly. <laughs> uh, although in the in the anime uh, poster, it says Oingo Bingo, <laughs> <laughs> which is a perfectly acceptable cover cover band name, Oingo Bingo. <laughs> Their smash hit, Strange Chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> But that also just goes to show that uh, Kuobara has pretty good taste. Yep. Speaking of Kuobara's taste, he has to save his new girlfriend, Yukina, from Tarukane. It's so adorable that he's just like, 
I am in love with this girl that I've never met, yep. and she's now my girlfriend for some reason. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> he is a pure-hearted being. He is light. The light that shines through all of us. Yeah. The red peeking string of blood thing was added in the anime, so... It is pretty adorable, yeah. though. He's He is a very pure and sweet boy. So they have to break into Rikunei's mansion, fight a bunch of demons, which includes 12 kind of lower-level demons, and then what they call the demon triad, and then fight against the Kirigoro brothers. Each step along the way, Rikunei and his Black Book Club, uh, in the manga, I guess they call it the Black Black Club in the anime, makes several bets against, uh, against Yusuke, except for Sakio who always bets for the intruders. Um, the 12 lower level don't really have any screen time, but the Demon Triad have a little bit, uh, which Don, you tweeted about, tweeted about a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, before that, I also pointed out that one of the demons, like this really gross-looking, like, I think he said genetically engineered monster thing, was named Helen Chan. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which is, like, the most random name for something so awful looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just like, my dear Helen Chan. <laughs> like, okay, sure. Surely you'll never be able to beat this thing. <laughs> Surely you'll never be able to beat Helen Chan. <laughs> Tigger all walks in. 30% should be fine. Punch. <laughs> yeah, and then afterwards, doesn't he say, like, 20% would have done it? Yep. Yeah. And he's a kind-hearted soul. Yeah, but he likes animals, so yeah. he didn't want to. <laughs> he didn't really want to, but, you know. Uh, yeah, so the triad is, uh, first is Miyuki, and second is, oh, uh, God, I can't remember. I also forget that. Uh, started with an I, I can't remember. And then the last one ninja. is, uh, what was that? Said he's just a ninja? Yeah, he's basically a ninja with horns. And uh, and then the last one is Goku Monkey, <laughs> which what? is probably really? a reference. No. <laughs> yes, his name is Goku Monkey. The middle one is Inmaki. Yes, thank you. I knew it started with an I, but I couldn't remember. Um, which, they actually get through these characters a lot faster than I remembered when I had first, well, when I had last watched it. Yeah. Uh, I thought these took a lot longer, but they actually get through them in the anime pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. Like, this whole arc is four episodes. I'm just like, no. That was at least two discs back in the day. <laughs> I remember that. That's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's just four episodes. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty long level in the Game Boy Advance game. I remember that. I played that game. My memory. Yeah. Uh, well, they fight this demon triag. Yusuke gropes Miyuki. Um, and then he shotguns <laughs> the next guy. And in the manga, they beat the third one literally on the title page. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Like, yeah, let's get through this pretty quickly, guys. Yeah. And then they just run forward to the two girl brothers. Um, but not to pass over Miyuki, uh, Gon, what were the contents of your tweets? Oh, I, I pointed out that um, I'd totally forgotten that uh, Miyuki... Um, she presents herself as a woman, but she was born a man. And uh, Yusuke finds this out by uh, groping her. And, uh, I mean, it's not really handled super well for... But, I mean, it's, it is a 25-year-old anime. But I was kind of impressed that I'd totally forgotten that, like, usually when stuff like this happens in anime, 
and they find out like a character is like, you know, I'm a woman, but they're like born a man. Uh, They either act like it's a big joke or they act like that person's a gross pervert. Uh, but in this instance, uh, Yusuke was actually like kind of encouraging to her. He was like, you know, if, if you're a man, you should be a man with your whole heart. But if you're a woman, don't go half assed. Like your mind and your body and your soul should be like a woman or something like that. And, uh, he was basically just really encouraging in his own weird like way, even though, <laughs> even though he like just groped her, which was terrible. Um, so nice of you, Yusuke. <laughs> to be like, don't but get that fast right after you <laughs> touch her all over the place. Yeah, right after you basically assault her. Um, but I didn't, re- I didn't really see that as encouraging myself. But when I rewatched it, I kind of thought it was like, uh, I don't know, the opposite of encouraging, like pick one or something. I don't know. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's it's still not really super good yeah. because of reasons obviously but i was just kind of impressed that like he didn't he didn't make fun of her and he Mm. didn't call her a gross pervert and he didn't like recoil like ew oh my god i can't believe i touched you because like back then that would have been pretty standard for that kind of setup Mm. i mean kubara kind of did that a little bit he was kind of like ew and then he even like at one point was like maybe i should Take a look under her dress. And uh, uh, I was like, no, Kua, no. <laughs> Stop it. But for something that's 25 years old, I was kind of like, well, I mean, it's kind of nice that he didn't react yeah. terribly. That's fair. Later on in uh, Hunter Hunter, there's a character who's kind of like got the same circumstances, and that's handled really well. So <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Tagashi was kind of like trying to be progressive i guess at that time i mean for for its time that's not bad i mean i think that that was really what i was trying to highlight like for something that was that old that yusuke was like not belittling or thinking that's gross or or making a big joke out of it it was kind of great yeah even though that whole scene was still handled really badly (laughs) it could have been handled a lot worse yeah, yeah, I guess that's basically what I was saying. Like, it could have been so much worse, because there's a lot of anime out there that, like, that would have been the whole thing. That would have been the joke, and, like, for the next five to ten minutes, they would just be like, Ew, you're so mm. gross! Yeah, that still happens today, and this was 25 years ago, so... Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, sadly. Uh, well, after that demon triad, they come and fight the two girl brothers. Who the elder Tiguro can transform into several things, including a sword and a human and a shield. And the mm-hmm. younger Tiguro is a giant muscle bound demon thing that gets bigger when he yells, I guess. <laughs> That's literally all he does is yell. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he lets his big brother do all the talking. Yep. Uh, so, uh, Tarukane has put, Tarukane and Sakio have put everything on the line. Sakio says, uh, you will bet his entire fortune, uh, on Yusuke and Kuwabara winning, because he has some bigger goals in mind. So what ends up happening is the Taguro brothers throw the match against Yusuke and Kuwabara, which they found to be very difficult, because they're not, Yusuke and Kuwabara are not that strong. 
but they had a relatively good plan that happened to be convincing enough to work out. I believe it was Kuwabara's plan, too. Yep. Kuwabara the genius. He's treated like the dumb one, but he is always coming up with, like, clever solutions and strategies and stuff. Genius Kuwabara, I'm saying. He's definitely the dumb one. <laughs> yeah, Yusuke basically just hopes and prays for his dumb luck to work. Yep. And every once in a while, he'll come up with a flash idea that, like, is terrible unless it works. Like the mirror. And then when it works, it's great. Yeah, like the mirror. Oh, so they beat the Turo brothers. Um, Kie saves Yukina, and after everyone is left, Sakio comes back on the screen and says, thank you both for playing along with my ploy. I am now a richer man. Please kill Turukune. Which happens. And this leads into the next arc, the Dark Tournament, where... Uh, the younger Takuro invites, quote-unquote, invites Yusuke to come to this dark tournament and fight there. Although, I th- we did skip the part where um, Hiei kind of tells us about, like, why Yukina is so important to him. Oh, yes. So Yusuke, <gasps> Yusuke and Botan see this on the video that Koenma gives them, actually. Uh, but Kuwabara runs out of the room before then because he wants to save Yukina. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, it is revealed that Yukina is Hiei's sister, and Hiei does not reveal this information to Yukina, who is looking for her long-lost brother. And thus begins one of the best subplots throughout the whole show, because Kuwabara does, does not catch on until so much later. Does he catch on at all? I thought he did, like, at the very end. Like, they finally were like, dude, have you not figured it out yet? <laughs> Shouldn't have left before we finished watching that video, man. But yeah, it's it's kind of sad because at the end, when, like, you know, Yukina's finally saved, like, she turns to Hiei at one point and is like, oh, who are you? And, like, the look on his face is just so sad. He wants to tell her so badly. But she doesn't deserve a brother like him. Yeah. Criminal. Aw, poor Hiei. He's just a tiny little angry demon who wants to be loved. <laughs> and he got he cow. got the eye to find Yukina. Mm-hmm. This is not yet completely revealed, but it's hinting at it very strongly. Yeah. And then, you know, uh Kuwabara gets his little his little moment with Yukina where they, they get all like uh teary eyed at each other, which was kinda cute. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, this uh, is the Indian Spirit Detective Saga. What, what were your overall impressions of this? Oh, it's so good to revisit these. The first chunk of the series is so, like, it starts out so strong. Uh, I mean, some of the, like we were saying, some of the mini arcs have, like, their weaker points. But you get, like, a really good feel about all the characters and how they work and how their relationships with each other kind of work. Mm-hmm. And it's just really fun. For me, what about you? Uh, even the arcs in this that are kind of throwaway, they're all pretty short, so you get through it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I really like the beginning arc, well, Yusuke coming back to life, and then most of the rest of this is kind of whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's really hard to beat those first five episodes. They're just so good. Yeah. No, I... Overall, I... I, I really love the Spirit Detective arc. Like, it's a totally different show than what it became. And the, the, this last four episodes, the Tiguro Brother Mafia Mansion thing, like, that's 
when I first was watching it, I it was actually kind of losing me, and I think that's kind of more why I was like, eh, I'll wait for the boxes to continue because it was really starting to lose me. Um, because I I do like really love like the first fifteen episodes of this show so much, especially the first five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like even all the way up through the Genkai stuff, like that's its own really interesting and unique show uh, to me that I was just absolutely head over heels with and still am to this day. Um, I, I, when I, you know, between now and the next episode that we record, you know, I'll eventually rewatch all of this. So I'll be curious to see if, you know, us sitting here talking about the four beasts arc, you know, if, 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 if I'll receive that any, any differently than I had previously, we'll see. Maybe I have a better attention span now. Um, <laughs> Um, but no, yeah, this, this, this is like one of the strongest starts to a really long running show. Like a lot of other really long running shows, I find myself more often than not, you know, telling other people, no, no, stick with it to episode X. That's where it gets really good. And then you're hooked for thereafter. Like I love one piece. Mm. I think one piece is great from episode one, but it's like, no, no. Once you hit like episode 39 in the Arlong Park, you'll see why it's the greatest goddamn thing ever. Um, Yu Yu Hakusho is the complete opposite. It's like, no way. Like, once you start watching, you're hooked. You're in it. It's, it's terrific. Yeah. It's a really yeah. strong start. Mm. Really good show. Probably one of the strongest starts in like shonen anime that I can really think of. Mm-hmm. At least for me. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of shonen anime anymore. I mean, I wasn't even so. <laughs> In Inkzell Hunter Hunter, Inkzell a couple episodes in. Mm-hmm. 20 episodes in? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, we have one question, thanks to the Bunny Cartoon Influence. Uh, <laughs> from Bubliest, what, uh, or how have your perceptions and feelings towards certain characters changed when we're visiting Yuhak Show? Who and why? Uh, Ruby, any uh, any different feelings toward a character? Uh, Kuwabara. When I first watched it, I thought he was just the best, greatest, but my perception of him sort of shifted. Like, I used to think he was kind of the dumb, stupid one, but rewatching it, like, I see that's not really the case, and he is, like, the emotional core. He's not just a joke. Um, I also really like Karama a lot more the last time I watched the show, especially getting in towards, like, the chapter Black Arc. Like, you can tell he's getting sick of dealing with all these dumb people <laughs> who don't know what they're talking about, and he just starts getting, like, salty and starts dishing out quips. And What about you, Colin? I was actually going to say uh, Kuwabara as well, because when I first saw this when I was uh, uh, much younger, I didn't really like Kuwabara at first, because I thought he was, like, a big annoying goober. <laughs> <laughs> but now that's why I love him because he has he's he's so goofy but he has so much heart and he really loves his friends and he's just a big softy sweetheart and I feel kind of bad that I was so harsh on him when I was younger because I like him a whole lot a whole lot more now he's probably like right up there with uh with Karama as like you know top two faves yeah all the characters are great in the show. They really are. It's really hard to pick. Like, uh, I mean, the whole the whole cast is pretty great in their own ways. Yeah. But uh, Kurama is 
always going to be my favorite because I'm just biased. Uh, but like Kuwabara has risen considerably in the ranks for me. He's just a big, fun, delinquent goofball with a lot of heart. Yeah. And I love him. He's a good boy. <laughs> yep, I agree with both of you. Uh, if nothing else, like my my feelings for each character are growing stronger with remembering uh, specific moments or specific arcs in their character so far. Uh, especially yeah. with, with rereading it and have him having so much more content while being dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I also was in the same boat as you, Don. Uh, I didn't really like Kubara because he was kind of this. Dumb goober, but now I love Kuwabara because he's this dumb goober. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, look here, guys. So, so basically, I'm the guy who listened to the band when they were the local group and was telling you that they were cool the whole time, and nobody believed me. And now they're U2 level, and now it's like, yep, Chris was right the whole yeah. time. Even though I didn't know you back then, Chris, Chris was right. <laughs> The whole time. The whole time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because because I, I haven't actually rewatched the Spirit uh, Spirit Detective arc for this episode, um, <laughs> but the last time I did watch it was uh, like five years ago. Um, I watched the first five episodes just last year. Uh, <laughs> I told you that's what happens. Um, I really I really haven't gotten the chance to dive into like Karama or Hie, which those two were always, those were my least favorite characters. The three times I had sat down with the, the arc previously. Um, so, but what last year when we watched uh, me and Corey watched the movies and the OVAs, I found myself like really, I was much more interested in who Karama was as a character. So I have a feeling that, it'll be the exact opposite for me. Like maybe I'll like Karama a little bit more. Cause for me, it was always Yusuke and Kuwabara with Kuwabara being the greatest character ever. So <laughs> number um, one, re- greatest all time. <laughs> number one. Uh, so I really had, I have a feeling that maybe that I'll start turning more towards like Karama's character or something. Yeah. Cause, cause watching the first two episodes earlier before we started recording, all it did was like, yep, Kuwabara is the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hiei was actually my favorite character for the longest time. But, really? Yeah, I've since grown to mm-hmm. like Karama a lot more. Um, I used to like Hiei a lot more also when I was younger, but like it was probably because when I was a teenager, like uh, Hiei and Karama was a big ship for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, like, uh, I'm kind of turning uh, a corner. Uh, to where, like, I still like Hiei, but maybe not as much as I used to when I was younger. The thing I really like about Hiei is that his episodes always look amazing every time he fights anyone. So it's always a visual treat. That's true, yeah. He does yeah. have the best fights. He I remember that really- very distinctly. Maybe I'm just salty that, like, that cool eyeball form, we never get that again. And I was just like, man. Look, Karama's fights against Team Macho are the best, so... They are pretty great. You might need to check yourself, Chris. <laughs> there's a lot of really good fights in you, Hakusho, oh, because yeah. there's a lot of them. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's a lot of fights. Uh, we will get to the bulk of that. We're not quite that. there yet, but... Yeah, we will yeah. get to the bulk of that next time. Uh, hopefully the whole panel will be able to return. Um, until so much then, fighting. where can we find you all on the internet, Chris? Uh, I am on the Twitters at Um You can also yell at me through the Taiku podcast uh 
Twitter account as well. Um, you will find me just talking about Twin Peaks forever because that is the only thing that matters anymore. Ruby. And Kumamara. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> Ruby. Uh, you can find me on network television. I have a new show on the air right now. It's called Game of Thrones. I created it. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm working on these days. And that's about it. I'm on Twitter at wow. Fashion Tentacle, uh, where I don't talk about my professional work very often because you just don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I thank you for your contributions to incest. Uh, <laughs> bringing that anime into the mainstream. <laughs> that's right. Game of Thrones. And- when's when's or when's the live action Oriemo come out? Oh. We're working on I that mean, now. I mean, isn't that what Game of Thrones is? Yeah, that was what I was told. <laughs> well, yeah, in, in, in pockets, but we need like a whole like no, this is the show. A whole series. You know, gotcha. HBO series, of course, so you can show it all. Oh God. <laughs> HBO miniseries. I hope that never comes to pass. <laughs> oh. Uh, you can have it as double feature with the live action one piece. <laughs> How will they even make those proportions? Ugh, who knows? Uh, well, God, we're going to find you on the internet. <laughs> uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Bunny Cartoon. I am sort of doing a live tweet of my rewatch of Yu Yu Hakusho, but I'm basically doing like one tweet per episode, little snippets of a thought. So they're not like super spoilery or anything. It's mostly to keep me like keep me watching. So I keep doing it, and also to remind myself where I left off. <laughs> good plan. Because it's it's a good it's a it's a long series. Yep. And I'm forgetful, so sometimes I need a reminder. Okay, what was the last episode? <laughs> um, but I also have a podcast, uh, the Anime Nostalgia Podcast, which is kind of relevant to this because I talk about older anime and manga and fandom and uh, stuff like that. And you can find that at onmainostalgia.blogspot.com and it also has a Tumblr, onmainostalgia.tumblr.com and uh, you can also find it on iTunes if you just do a search for it or wherever you get your podcasts, it's usually there if you do a search. All right, and you can find me on Twitter at Compassionate K. This podcast is on Twitter at Taiku Podcast, T-A-I-I-K-U. I have another manga podcast, another podcast that is about manga, uh, Manga in Your Ears, that is on Twitter at Manga in Your Ears. Um, and you can find both of those podcasts at TaikuPodcast.com. Uh, the, we have a Tumblr that I don't update anymore because it doesn't automatically update. <laughs> Thank If anyone actually uses that and listens to these episodes, tell me, and I'll actually get back on there and do that. Uh, but until next time, uh, thank you all for coming on Talking About Spirit Detective. I will see you all at the Guard Tournament. Yay! Yay. Always whistling. The washer. Okay. <laughs> is it really, really loud to you? No, it's not that loud. I just hear something in the background. Oh, okay, it's just background noise. It's okay. Yeah, what is it? It'll be like uh, the cicadas and some of the other podcasts. Yeah.
It'll be finished here in a second. It's just got to refill the tub. 